And good evening, everyone, or good morning, or good afternoon, depending upon whatever the case may be around this rotating globe. Welcome to another, and I must say, very special weekend of programming from the other side of midnight. We're going to be talking the D word, disclosure. It's finally, I mean, I think it's finally, maybe, maybe finally, here. And on Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. in the, uh, uh, I forget which uh, House office building, a subcommittee of the House Intelligence Committee um, will open hearings, public hearings, uh, which I presume will be carried on C-SPAN. I checked last night and I did not see the listing, but given that we're dealing with uh, a weekend and things don't really updated on the weekend, uh, Probably by Monday, things will be updated. Anyway, that's one of the places that you can obviously um, uh, watch this. Uh, the other place will be, of course, uh, the networks will do excerpts. Um, I presume there will be a live uh, feed on the Internet, uh, probably from the House Committee itself. Uh, I have to check into that myself. Anyway, the reason all this is important is because some of us remember back 54 years to a breakfast meeting that I had with J. Allen Hynek right after the Condon Committee congressional hearings uh, became public uh, from the um, uh, Condon UFO uh, Committee. And basically, according to Allen that morning at breakfast, uh, have killed the field for as far as the eye can see. Well, that statement that Allen made to me, Allen Hynek was, of course, the uh, official Air Force investigator of UFOs, and he had a very interesting du dual life, and uh, someday uh, I may have to get some of his uh, folks back on the air here, and we'll talk about Alan Hynek as we move through this very interesting and new and very important political process in terms of the disclosing of what is behind UFOs. But before we get into all of that, and that's going to be the substance of our next three hours, let me kind of hit you with a couple of news items. If you go to the other side of midnight, if you're new to the show, if you listen to me uh, the other night when I was back on coast with George and I gave out uh, breadcrumbs of how to find the show, if you're listening to me on the other side of midnight.com, that's fantastic. All you have to do is to uh, go to one of the windows and uh, look at the uh, scroll and go to the banners and then click on that and that will take you to the uh, guest page for tonight. You want to be on the guest page, that means you click on the banner on the main page, that will take you to the guest page, and there you will find, uh, right under the banner, you will see uh, something that says fast links to items, with my name, Rudy, Joe, Michael, and Ron. And you want to click on the, uh, my name, and that will take you uh, further down on that guest page to my items and radio fixtures. Item number one, we've been doing this now since Christmas, since the launch of the Webb Space Telescope, which is going to absolutely revolutionize astronomy, even as Hubble revolutionized astronomy in a preceding uh, uh, generation and a half or so. If you go to item number one, we've been updating the Webb log from NASA every week. And what I did is I had to kind of steal a picture from a, a couple weeks ago and put it up for tonight. This is astonishing. 
because if you look at item number one, the image on the left, these are both infrared images. The image on the left is taken by the uh, uh, Spitzer Space Telescope, which has a little uh, one meter mirror. <clears throat> one meter is about three feet. So you got a three foot collector. The image on the right of exactly the same close-up of a grouping of stars in, I believe, the Greater Magellanic Cloud. I think that's where this was taken. Look at the incredible increase in resolution. Exactly the same size image, same clipping, same objects, same stars. But now you're looking at them through a 21-foot mirror as opposed to a 3-foot mirror. And you can see the incredible increase. You know, this is just a foretaste. This is just kind of to wet our whistle for the stunning breakthroughs <clears throat> up to and including inhabited solar systems beyond our own that Hubble and Webb together are going to give to the astronomical community and to all the U.S. taxpayers who have supported Webb and the uh, uh, donations, of course, from the Europeans as well. And we're on the eve of something astonishing. So item number two, it's the usual where is Webb. That's the NASA website. Kind of shows you where they are standing with the commissioning of the various instruments. We're still looking at July. Telescope will be declared fully functional and all the instruments super cooled down to within, you know, a few degrees of absolute zero. And that, of course, increases the signal to noise ratio for infrared uh, imaging. Because remember, heat is infrared electromagnetic radiation in one form. So moving on, item number three. Now, this is why we're, we're here tonight. Um, <clears throat> last week, the House Subcommittee on Counterintelligence announced it was opening hearings on the UAP problem, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, which, of course, is what the politics are trying to do when they try renaming UFOs. But, you know, kid you not, this is the first official congressional UFO hearing on UFOs, UAPs, whatever you want to call them, arose, etc. Um, these are UFOs we're talking about, and that will take place beginning at 10 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday morning. Now, if you look at item number two, go read that. That's a uh, kind of overview on, on, on Politico. The thing that I find fascinating, and I've been talking about this on the air now for several weeks, and I was talking about it just before the smoke here in uh, New Mexico killed me for a couple of weekends. Um, look at all that's happening on the planet. Look at all the incredible first-time-ever news stories, starting with Putin's war of terror, a global pandemic that's looking more and more like it was a bioweapon. We'll leave aside for a moment who uh, may have sent it to whom. Um, look at what we're getting out of the Supreme Court. Women, suddenly, no longer, you know, fully functional second half of the human species in the United States. And on and on and on. We just had 10 people murdered in Buffalo, New York this morning, doing nothing more than trying to bring home groceries. The world has gone totally crazy. There are 15 million high priority items for government, particularly the federal government, ranging from the war in Ukraine, which at any moment, you have no idea how incredibly perilous 
the time is right now. I don't remember feeling this way since October of 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis, when we literally watched television and watched JFK's address in black and white and looked at the possibility of thermonuclear war. Well, tonight we are closer because of this insane phenomenon going on in Russia with Putin and the now, you know, leaks of potential coups and they're trying to take him out and he's striking back. I mean, it's it's going nuts. In the midst of this insanity in every direction, suddenly the House Committee on Intelligence decides to hold its first UFO hearings in 54 years. What the hell is really going on? Remember, my model has been for a long time that a lot of what we see going on down here is merely, you know, kabuki theater to mask what's going on upstairs. If in fact there are breakaways, if in fact a contingent of the Nazis took ancient technology, refined it, fled from Earth at the end of World War II, and are now in a position of trying to come back. I mean, look at, we haven't talked about Nazis to the extent in mainstream media news like this for decades. And now every other word out of Russia is the denazification of Ukraine. Hint, there are no Nazis in Ukraine. The president of Ukraine is Jewish. Give me a break, guys. But suppose what's going on on Earth, which has now attacked one of the most providential breadbaskets of the planet and is going to wind up with millions of people primarily in Africa, starving to death because of Putin's folly, is there a larger set of background purposes behind what appears to be just blatant, incredibly stupid insanity for something as out of date as rebuilding the Russian Empire? I mean, is Putin serious? And I've read the monographs. I've read the thousands of words he's written. The question is, is he gently being encouraged to do this now? Because now is when decisions, huge decisions on the human condition, war, peace, other dimensions, connectivity, what happens when we die, all of this is on the table because the physics is now poised to make a change if it's not already been occurring quietly, silently, inexorably, and riding on these waves of extraordinary changes and fits of consciousness, we have suddenly in the mainstream a set of UFO hearings commencing that appear to most people, to be totally unrelated to anything that's going on or can affect their lives. And the next three hours tonight, or two hours and change, will be devoted to exploring what the real backdrop to these hearings are and what the best case scenario for bringing out the truth and maybe staving off literally World War III. 
So let me bring on my guests. Uh, we have two very interesting people tonight who are going to be regaling us with um, very interesting stories of how they got involved in this current subject. And B, um, not least of which is how did they get together? Because they come from very, very different uh, backgrounds in um, in the social media world. So, uh, my first guest is a uh, 40-year career in astrophysics at Harvard, Dr. Rudy Schild, who is still continuing his research into activities around gravitational lensing, black hole physics, and matter structuring of the universe. Early results from Rudy's career relate to the comparison of temperature and luminosities of hot early type stars and have become very popular in recent times as these stars are now recognized as the progenitors of supernovae. His mid-career work was focused on the first measured time delay of gravitationally lensed quasar images. And the most recent research that Rudy's been conducting involved comparison of gravitational microlensing, brightness fluctuations with black hole models, and the study of quasar inner structure through uh, close monitoring of these uh, brightenings and dimmings. Um, Rudy, we're going to call him Rudy tonight, uh, Dr. Shield, uh, also hosts a show with uh, my second guest, Joe Stiletti, called The Consciousness Enigma, which focuses mostly on discussions around human consciousness, astrophysics, the UFO phenomenon, and the works of his late friend and colleague, Dr. John Mack, also of Harvard. The show can be found on YouTube or Instagram. And without further ado, let me welcome to the microphones of the other side of midnight. I don't want to do that. No, I want to welcome Dr. Rudy Shield. Welcome to the other Thank side you. of midnight. Thank you. And um, to whom am I speaking? Is this Richard? This is Richard. Now let me let this me get one. Richard Hogan himself. And is it Doctor Richard? No, no, no. It's not Doctor. I kind of forgot to pick up one of those along the way. So. Oh, okay. That's all right. You were busy with other things. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter to anything. I just wanted to honor to your own credentials. You've explained mine so beautifully. And if I might by way of introducing myself, mention my earliest moments of relationship to Dr. Alan J. Hynek. Ah. I knew Dr. Hynek personally. And in fact, our first encounter was when I was 14, one, four years old. Oh my. Um, a boy who had just completed building his telescope by walking around the barrel and rubbing two pieces of glass together um, and figuring that into a viable telescope meter. And um, I had built onto my telescope a sun observing screen. And um, I had for uh, no particular reason except to see if it could be done, I had made a series of sketches of the sun and its pattern of, of spots from day to day. Every day an observation made at noon when I took my lunch break from um, high school. Anyway, um, he looked at these sketches, uh, looked up at me and said, this young man has got talent to be an astronomer. 
hand that was so bright. Over the years, I would see him fairly often because he was director of the Dearborn Observatory. Of oh, North yes, of course. University. And um, I was... I, 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 Rudy, I, I think that's the only observatory I've ever known that was built on stilts. It literally sits oh, there I by... I didn't actually know that it was about the built on stilts. Yeah. But, um, it, I, uh, it, it, it was his crazy there. idea. It was his crazy idea to use the little waters of Lake Michigan and build the observatory kind of out in the lake on stilts so that you had calm air for seeing, particularly for solar observations during the midday. I see. I know that. I had never heard that story. Uh, that's news to me, and thank you. <laughs> well, next time you visit, take a look at the stilts. So anyway, to finish my story, when I was a graduate student at the University of Chicago at Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, that was only 50 miles away from Evanston, Illinois, where Dr. Heinick was director, uh, chairman of the department. And um, uh, so when he came and visited our observatory to attend the colloquium, if he saw me, he recognized me and remembered me and said, hi, Rudy, we were on a first-name basis. So I am probably one of the last living people to have an active relationship with astronomer Alan Hynek, who at the time was known to be doing this work on the UFO problem, um, with government funding, but um, he never spoke about it publicly to his colleagues at the Yerkes Observatory. And um, from our point of view, it was all hush-hush, and we didn't even hear about it when the uh, Condon report uh, was issued, finally. And uh, it uh, had no impact on astronomy at its time because we were all doing our other things and uh, not concerning ourselves at all with uh, the mythology of flying saucers. So that's the earliest uh, part of my life and my relationship to the famous J. Allen Heinick. <laughs> wow, what a small world. Hey, let's bring Joe in because I want to kind of weave your backgrounds together since you obviously have worked together and I want to find out how that happened. So let me, without further ado, give you a little background on Joe. Joe has been researching UFOs for over 20 years. He was raised in the East San Francisco Bay Area in the foothills of Mount Diablo in a beautiful small town called Alamo. In 2008, he had a UFO experience in Oakland, California with two other friends which changed the way he currently views the world. In 2014, he became good friends with John Lear, which really sparked his curiosity on the phenomenon. We're going to talk with uh, uh, Joe about John in, in a little bit here. Eventually, he hooked up with Harvard University astrophysicist Dr. Rudy Schild, and they have combined their collaborative efforts to research the phenomenon of UFOs and human consciousness. Their show is called The Consciousness Enigma, which can be found again on YouTube or on Instagram. And obviously, we're going to have a link to it here, um, either next to uh, Joe's bio or Rudy's. We'll stick in a link to, to their YouTube show. So, guys, I need to go to Joe first. Um, how did you get interested in ufology? How did you know? 
that the time to become professional in this arena is right now. Look what's going on in Washington. And see, how did you wind up knowing about what I've been doing for the last uh, 30 or 40 years? Well, uh, Richard, it's an honor to be on your program. I've been listening to you since I was a young boy in the Alamo on my AM radio when you would go on the Art Bell program. Um, I've been researching this since I was about 10 years old. Uh, mostly back then, I was focused on the Area 51 Bob Lazar story. Uh, and it wasn't really until I met John Lear in 2014, 2015 in Las Vegas at his home uh, that he just opened the door to so many other topics in the, in the UFO phenomenon. I started a podcast back then, primarily with John Lear. I've interviewed him for many hours. Uh, and that's kind of where it kicked off. And then uh, maybe in 2016, 2017, Dr. Shield and I were in a film uh, produced by Caroline Corey, and uh, I was flown out to New York to the premiere. Dr. Shield and I were not in the filming uh, production together, but we met at the premiere. And uh, years later, I emailed him. I'd been trying to get a hold of him for a while, but you know, he, as, he'll, as he's explained to me, his email is just flooded every day with emails, mm -hmm. and I just got very <laughs> lucky and yes, yes. Uh, got in contact with him, and uh, we began our show, The Consciousness Enigma. That still reminds me of when I met Gene Roddenberry by phone. I was, um, you know, I had this little radio station that I was working at the uh, Parton Museum in in uh, the um, uh, valley there in near Springfield. And I had a morning and evening show and I did a lot of stuff with Star Trek. So when, when there, there was this threat to end Star Trek, you know, my instinct, given that I had a free phone from the city, i.e. the museum, I would call Hollywood. Back in those days, a long distance call was a big deal, a really big deal. And I wound up calling Hollywood and I found, you know, Roddenberry in the phone book. And I called Roddenberry and Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry, answered the phone. So it's kind of like the same thing, you know, the, the people we're supposed to meet, we meet in the most unusual, interesting, sometimes uh, very direct ways. Absolutely. Uh, and similar to how we came in contact, Richard, um, I've actually been trying to get a hold of you for a few years. And obviously, you're a very busy man who gets many messages. <laughs> and yes. you know, yes. so I met Jim Goodall at John Lear's memorial service ah. two weeks ago. And you had Jim on last week. And uh, Jim, I messaged him and I said, man, you're talking to Richard Hoagland tonight. Please, uh, what's his contact information? It was just... Uh, a, a beautiful timing so it's it's uh it's it's just very similar well it really is okay let me switch over to rudy now rudy how did you wind up meeting joe and what made you guys wind up collaborating because you come from this squeaky clean world of astrophysics and you know academia and harvard come on harvard the only black sheep at harvard these days is avi loeb by the way do you know avi loeb uh yes i do but um, uh, we have our professional differences, and um, he prefers to just keep at, the, at a bit of a distance, and that's fine with me. <laughs> well, it sounds to me like you're on the same limb. He's kind of edging out from the trunk, and you're about at the distance of Proxima Centauri by comparison. 
Yeah, and it's not my fault. John Mack made me do it. All right, talk about your relationship to John, because John and I were friends. His his death in in that incredible traffic accident, and I think it was London, is just in London, yeah, just insane to be hit trying to cross at a, at a, a you know crossing. I mean, just nuts. So, how did you wind up taking this subject series? Was it John? Uh, yes, it was, and uh, as as um, uh, as you'll hear me explain, um, it's his fault. <laughs> so I had known John socially. Both of us were academics at Harvard University. My position, by the way, is both Harvard University and the Smithsonian Institution, oh. where I'm the senior researcher at the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory, which is co-located, uh, co-located with Harvard University here in Cambridge. And so um, I had dual appointments where as lecturer in the Department of Astronomy, when I would spend time lecturing the graduate students, Harvard University would refund the Smithsonian a fraction of my, uh, of my salary, uh, which uh, would pay for the hours spent uh, doing Harvard business. <laughs> so it was an unusual arrangement. I'd just like to make clear that I am uh, a representative of both the Smithsonian and Harvard University. And um, I wanted to um, tell you then the story of how I met John Mack, and uh, we were talking about um, his uh, being a social friend of mine. He had been to dinner at home, my home with my wife for an evening, he and his wife Sally then. And... Um, um, so it was out of the blue, clear blue sky one day that um, John called me at my office. Uh, oh, Rudy. Hi, Rudy. This is John Mack. Um, Rudy, do you have a little bit of time? I have something very strange to tell you about. Now, people need to know that your background, of course, is the hard scientist, physics, etc. But John was a psychologist. So... If he had a technical issue with some of his subject material, you might have been someone that was, shall we say, simpatico enough to have him run something by you. Was that how you guys met? That's exactly the, what the situation was. <laughs> um, what he told me was, Rudy, in my psychiatric practice, I am hearing such a strange tale of people who have had contact with UFOs and how that has had lasting effects on them, some effects in transformation and, and social pro and uh, personal development, but some very frightening. And he said um, much of what they say has astronomical implications and I wonder if you as my colleague here at the university would occasionally read a chapter or a text I have written to ensure that it's not astrophysical garbage. And I've, so I would like you to be a research consultant with me. And I said, John, um, this is the most amazing thing. Um, I suggest that we meet in a neutral place and discuss this further. 
and we arranged to meet in the cafeteria at the observatory where I was, and um, that way we would, could be assured that there were no tapped cell phone, uh, cell, uh, telephones and uh, that uh, we would be in a place where there's nobody around us. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, as I recall, and uh, he laid it out on the table to me. People are being abducted. Um, they're having forced sexual experiences, collection of sperm samples. They're being shown their babies, and they're being shown life on the spacecraft. And this is just too uh, unreal uh, to be believed, but I think we better get used to it. And uh, he said, so I would like, he repeated the statement that I would like um, you to be my uh, technical consultant on this. And um, Rudy, I tell you uh, what, we're at the bottom of the hour. Let's hold it there because I've got a million questions. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. My guest this morning, starting off, Dr. Rudy um, um, Schild and Joe Saletti, and we're going to be talking about contact, hearings, disclosure, and what happens when officials, instead of ridicule, take the UFO subject, the phenomenology, seriously for the first time in U.S. history? In the background, the Ukraine National Anthem. You're on the other side of midnight. We shall return. Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. <clears throat> Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month. 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. To telepath messages through the vast unknown. Please close your eyes and concentrate with every thought you think upon the recitation we're about to say. Calling occupants of 
Welcome back, everyone, to this Saturday night, March, uh, March, May, May 14th, 2022, and tomorrow is the 15th. Welcome to our kind of impromptu disclosure weekend. We figured we'd do a double header. Uh, tonight, we're featuring uh, our guests uh, in the first two hours, and then we're going to have some of our regular Enterprise Mission team members join us with some very interesting discussion on what this all means now that... It's finally here. The disclosure has a has an address. It has a, a name. It has a congressional committee. It has media coverage. It's got the new it's got the damn New York Times for God's sake. Anyway, um, Rudy, let me go back to when when uh, when um, uh, you know he asked you to do this. Did you know what he was involved in, or was this a total, totally phantasmagorical shock? Uh, It it was a total surprise, and um, I do remember exactly that when he had laid out in general what was happening, the abductions, uh, the... um, um, hybrid breeding program uh, and uh, the uh, the um, uh, nature of uh, the contacts with extraterrestrial beings. Um, it came time for us to break up, and I remember that just as I was standing up, um, and I knew the meeting was over. I said, "John." Um, all of this is just so fantastic. What does this make you believe to your, to your great surprise? And he looked at me, thought just a moment and said, Rudy, you know, I was born a secular Jewish male and all of my life, I would have nothing to do with religion, but now I realize there is something to the universe that's way beyond what we had thought. Mm. And that was such a sincere statement to me that I, so to speak, picked up my cross and followed him. Wow. So you see, it's not my fault. (laughs) Well, John can't be here to defend himself, so you're going to have to shoulder some of this responsibility. Let me shift back over to Joe. Uh, you say that you had gone to John Lear's memorial, and that's uh, w- was that how you met Rudy, or was this earlier? Uh, no, uh, Rudy did not attend. I don't think Rudy knew John personally. Oh, okay, okay. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I was there a couple weeks ago and uh, just wanted to pay my respects to the great John Lear. I considered him a very good friend. And uh, he opened the door for me to investigate this phenomenon further than just the Area 51 uh, topic. Hmm. Okay, let's go, let's reel the clock back and look at when you and Randy uh, Rudy met, because that to me is, I mean, talk about a Mutt and Jeff scenario. Here you have a squeaky clean astrophysicist from Harvard, and you got a citizen scientist named Joe who obviously does not have credentials 
in in any field at Harvard would uh, put you on the faculty to teach. So how did you guys get together and what's come of it so far? Well, after the premiere of the film, as a matter of fact, Rudy and I were talking about this earlier today, we, we were in uh, Soho, Manhattan, New York City. Uh, Caroline, Corey, Rudy, and I uh, decided to go across the street to a small Italian restaurant. And uh, here I am sitting next to Dr. Shields. And um, we sat there for hours and just discussed the UFO phenomenon. And I mean, talk about a fascinating conversation. I mean, it was like the conversation of a lifetime. Uh, There wasn't a day that went by since that since that uh, meeting that I didn't think about it. Uh, I tried to get in contact with him a few times. And then one day I just, I got very lucky uh, and I sent him a photograph of the film premiere and uh, we talked on the phone. Um, I read a few books of his and we decided, Hey, let's start a YouTube channel and, and uh, focus on consciousness and UFO phenomena. So, uh, Rudy, what made you pick the idea of consciousness connecting uh, UFOs? Because most of the UFO stories are very, you know, boilerplate, rivets, spaceships, that kind of thing. Um, It's only at the very kind of center of the phenomenology, particularly through the work of John, that we realize that there is an extraordinary um, multi-hyperdimensional consciousness aspect to this which basically goes to the heart of what we think of as reality itself yes thank you um richard um you know um i had quite a relationship also with edgar mitchell and Ah, um it was from conversations with him that i came to understand how the nature of the universe was enabling the act of consciousness. And um, I worked it out in more details just at the time of my life when I was working with other scientists at the observatory about the nature of black holes. And I came to understand that the correct understanding of black holes was not the one that was that we were teaching to the first year graduate students, but was rather a magnetic variant of what's considered the standard black hole idea. And because I was uh, studying um, this black hole theory at the same time that I was becoming interested in all of these aspects of consciousness through the space program, but also through the John Mack interviews with uh, abductees, people who had communicated with, with intelligent beings from off of this planet and so on. Um, I saw that there had to be a connection between the two of them, and so I worked until I could understand exactly what that is. Um, I, after Edgar Mitchell's death, um, I worked with Ray Hernandez, who was working on a book that was a statistical survey of the nature of consciousness and also all the other phenomena associated with 
UFOs then and UAPs now. And through this work with Ray Hernandez, we came to see how consciousness phenomena were very profoundly at the basis of basically all of these extraordinary phenomena, including telepathy, remote viewing, um, near-death experiences. Um, so in essence, Rudy, what you're saying is that we need, the mainstream needs a larger physics to encompass all these other phenomena that are not explained by anything that the mainstream says we think we know. Yes, and at the same time, I was seeing that consciousness could arise from physical processes in the universe related to the surfaces of black holes. So I was now starting to put together black holes the UAP phenomena, and consciousness. Now, isn't that an ambitious project? But um, it didn't really look that way. It just kind of crept up on me. I didn't make a consciousness, a conscious decision to uh, uh, wrap these three in a single envelope, but that's the way it turned out. Just following my native instincts for go where the data is mm-hmm. and go where the science is. Well, this is kind of why this is kind of why I wanted to do this show tonight and do like a two-parter. So we do the why should we give a damn about any of this tonight? And tomorrow night I'm going to be doing the process with what we should be watching uh, with with Steve Bassett in terms of the hearings because politically I think we are those of us that believe that this stuff is real and has been ruthlessly suppressed by some quarters of the scientific community is to say nothing of government, military, DOD, the spooks, the intelligence community, all of these competing players trying to keep us from realizing the universe is a lot more exciting and interesting and extraordinary than we've been led to believe. And now is the time when some of these keys may in fact be given to us. So let me ask this question. You've been following this now, uh, phenomenology, UFOs, abductions, consciousness, beings out there, what I call the extended human family. And now mainstream uh, guys are starting to talk about, you know, humans being the model for life forms in a lot of the galaxy, which, of course, completely, you know, blows holes in conventional um, uh you know, evolutionary theory. So with these hearings coming up in the best of all possible worlds, Rudy, and and uh, Joe, you can get ready too, because I'm going to ask you the same question. What would you like to see happen in the near term, in the medium term, and in the far term? And do you think that this is just an idle exercise of kind of intellectual curiosity or is what the phenomenology has to relate to us important in essence for our very survival as a species? Excellent questions, all of them. And I would like to try to answer that with the following. 
Um, Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm it's having, okay. Take your time. Uh, uh, I'm having to focus on this now. Um, uh, this is what happens when you use computers on live radio. <laughs> uh, um, John Mack, who had been now studying the abduction phenomena for about um, five to eight years, wrote his famous book, Abductions, in which he laid out all of the complexities and the main points of the abduction phenomena. And when he wrote his great book, Abductions, and published it in 1994, um, that sent shockwaves through, and um, well, didn't they threaten him with calling him up before some kind of a committee and saying we're going to toss you out of here, tenure or not? Uh, yes, that's very correct, and um, it was basically me that saved his butt oh my God. by writing a letter to that tenure review committee stating that um, I am a member of the International Astronomical Union Commission that is already exploring the question of life existing elsewhere in the universe on distant planets and we had a radio survey, the SETI Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence program already underway. And so I could speak for the astronomical community and say to the committee that we are very involved in a search for extraterrestrial life using the technique of radio waves, which we had come to accept as the most effective way to communicate over vast distances, although now we realize that they, you will never hear in the entire abduction literature a statement about an abductee who has seen a alien or off-planet being talk on a radio. <laughs> everything by telepathy. So I don't have any idea why people haven't noticed this and put an end to the search for extraterrestrial intelligence looking for their radio signals. They don't do that. Well, when, wait, 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 wait. I have new data that I need to provide you with so we can have another show on this probably in two or three okay. weeks. Um, going back to around Christmas time of last year, I got the wild idea in my mind that we should, given the Amuamua, from our work, our calculations, is an interstellar artificial object um, that somebody really interfered with. Loeb is correct. He's not correct about what it is or how it works. But he is correct in that it's not normal. So given that during that whole interlude in the fall of 2017, 
when Oumuamua went zipping through the solar system and not even the big guys had enough time to really, you know, kind of, you know, put the assets that would have told us anything, given what it turned out to be, which was very unresponsive. There was this effort uh, hosted by a Russian oligarch, we now know a lot about them, who has a few billion dollars and lives in California, and who basically rented the um, radio telescope at the Green Bank in, in West Virginia for a period of a week to do a radio survey of any emissions coming from Oumuamua. You're aware of that, right? Oh, yes. Okay. What I was intrigued with is that <clears throat> in the mode of Ronald Bracewell and the ideas espoused by Bracewell back in the 1960s, the so-called you know, AI Bracewell probe, that kind of thing, it seemed to me, <clears throat> excuse me, my my voice may be giving out here. Oh dear! It, it, uh, yeah, the the smoke has been terrible. Anyway, it seemed to me that somebody would have said in these discussions, "Well, wait a minute. If we're looking at this as an artificial object, wouldn't it be behoove some of us to maybe transmit something to see if it responded?" And as far as we can ascertain, nobody during that critical you know, two or three week period in late fall of 2017, when Oumuamua went zipping around the sun and leaving it obviously in excess of escape velocity, nobody did any transmitting as far as we know. They only did listening. So last December, beginning on December 4th, I organized some <clears throat> amateurs who have very high powered equipment and we transmitted a series of mathematical and frequency codes to Oumuamua, and we got all kinds of amazing answers, which have now occupied many, many hours of this program going back to uh, December 4th of 2021. So I will, will get, send you some links. So when we have our next conversation, you have the background that we've got, which is somebody not only answered our communication, but they actually physically showed up on camera over the antenna within a couple of minutes of the broadcast to Oumuamua actually beginning. So you cannot categorically say that the preferred mode of communication is only telepathy or only a telepresence because it now seems to, from our own work, to definitely occupy the electromagnetic spectrum on two critical frequencies, 144.1 and 432 megahertz. Very interesting and all news to me, Richard. I so will be sending you, you some, I will send you some files. I will send you some conversation. I will send you some doodling and maybe you can help uh, us get to the next level because we've kind of paused because we don't know really who we're talking to. We only know <clears throat> that they've given us very interesting physical information about Earth weeks prior to the events actually taking place. Well, that's very interesting. And if you I will... might, Richard, go ahead. could I go back to John Mack and talk about um, what John himself emphasized in his book as the most important result of his studies 
of the abduction phenomenon. Yeah, because I want to give context to people. In the third hour, we're going to have uh, uh, Michael Hill, who is uh, actually in contact with some of these folks out there, and I wanted to have him kind of run some things by you. And we've got a couple of other people. But let's go back to John's seminal research, which has to do with why we should care about any of this. It's not just about lights in the sky. So... Um John emphasized that discovery of the breeding program is the most fundamental and important aspect of the phenomena because it actually could represent an existential threat if you want to take it that way, but it could also be a formula for success of our civilization. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. For people who are not familiar with John's model, you know, pretend that in the audience there are a lot of people that have no idea what you just said. So let's start. What do you mean John's breeding program? You mean his research? John is saying that the abductees who talk to him in psychological session often talk about being abducted aboard a large spacecraft and seeing evidence of baby human beings being raised in test tubes, big, large test tubes. And this was seen to be and uh, understood to be evidence that there is a human alien breeding program, interbreeding program, underway now, not hypothetically, not maybe, it is underway. So you can take this as holy, holy moly, um, this is a threat they're going to take us over by um, joining our species to theirs and possibly overwhelming us with these superior technologies that they've demonstrated to us time and time again. Now, you can take that as, therefore, something we should be very worried and concerned about, or you can take the opposite program. This interbreeding program has the objective of making human-alien hybrids so that if we do succeed in totally destroying our planet, we as a species could take refuge on their home planet. Hmm. Or which, we... Which, hang on, hang on, hang on. Which, which in this model is different enough from Earth that you need some kind of genetic engineering for a viable offspring to live in that environment? Almost certainly. Agreed. Hmm. So um, now, 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 John had accumulated uh, thousands of hours of interviews. Did he do systematic correlations and correlation to try to get patterns and see if totally separate people had the same stories, the same descriptions, the same scenario, the same excuses, the same whatever? Uh I, that, that is um, basically what he did, the latter of your two suggestions. He did not 
uh, in his book or in our conversations have neat uh, orders that these are the people who are also interested in uh, near-death experiences. These are the people that are interested in astrology. These are the people that are interested in telepathy. These are the remote viewers and so on. He did not do that. He did not sort them out. He just presented the data to show that there was significant overlap between the abduction program the alien hybrid program and the other phenomena that people were experiencing in their lives, particularly after they had made contact with non-human intelligence. Hmm. So what made you decide when many years later you met Joe to collaborate with him on, is, is, is this a weekly podcast or is it more often? Uh, it's normally weekly uh, but it's when we uh, when when we post. So, do um, you describe? Do you continue with John's research? Are you taking uh, data from his files? Are you contacting people that might want to tell their stories in the media now that politically things are lining up to where people will at least listen? Um, how how did you guys wind up with with the with the consciousness and Ingba program? So what happened is then uh, Ray Hernandez came into the picture and demonstrated through his massive statistical survey, which I participated in and sort of guided through also, um, and he concluded that consciousness is at the root of all of these phenomena that seem so amazing, hard to understand, and otherworldly like telepathy, and so um, I decided to study consciousness because I was also starting to notice that the problems of black hole, uh, that the structure of black holes, as we have, are now coming to understand them and observe them, seem to show a, com a, a participation in consciousness. Our human consciousness is actually a resonance with the surfaces of the black holes in our universe, hmm. which act as nature's hard drive in storing the quantum hologram of all ages of the universe from the beginning. Wow. Okay, let's pick up on that when we come back. My guest this morning is Dr. Rudy Schild, or Schild, if you're pronouncing it in the strict German pronunciation. We also have uh, Joe Cerletti, who brought Dr. Schild to my attention and who is standing by. I want to ask Joe a very interesting question, and we'll do that on the other side of the break. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. 
To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Mm -hmm.